0: All right, well, good morning. If you uh, have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. So for those who don't know me that well, uh, I really enjoy sports. In particular, I enjoy competing. Um, in our household, you know, we don't, we don't, I say we, I don't let the kids win. Um, if we're playing a board game, I tell Sonia, like, it does their character no good to let them win, right? Thank you very much. (laughs) Excuse me. You want the mic? (laughs) Anyway, uh, (laughs) but you know uh, the thing. One of the things I love about sports is, is uh, you know, the ways in which teams try to like intimidate each other before the game. Uh, You know, they have these like pre you know game ceremonies that like try to intimidate right? Um, two of my favorites. One, one is uh, I don't like the football team. I don't, like, I don't like the school. I don't like the basketball team. Uh, it's Florida State. Um, no offense to anybody who went to and or likes Florida State. You're just not that good at football, but they have a guy in full like Seminole, you know, headdress, the whole deal on a horse out to midfield with a flaming spear and just throws it and like walks away or rides away, and the camera, like, zooms in. It's like, oh, man, what's coming? You know, what's coming? You know, mildly intimidating, unless you have, like, an 0-12 record. But my favorite of all time, hands down, is the New Zealand All Blacks rugby. You know where this is going, right? It's the Haka. These guys that are, like, 6'3", and, like, huge, right? And they all, as a team, walk out to midfield, and they just, like, get this crazed look in their and they're like, ah, you know, they're like slapping, and I'm not going to do it because it would be embarrassing to, for me. I just wore the black shirt, all right? But they get out there, and they start this Maori, like, chant, right? And they're just looking. I mean, they're looking at the eyes of the people they're playing against, and, and, and some of the words I was looking up, because I don't, you know, speak the Maori, like, tribal language. I, I was, like, looking up, what is it that they're even saying? And the leader, he'll say things like, you know, like, you know, open your eyes wide, and they all do, and they like, you know, they kind of chant back and forth, and like slap your, you know, that's why they're like slapping their, uh, you know, thighs and everything, and, and, and then he starts going, you know, you die, you die, and the team responds, we live, we live, right, and they're just yelling it, and screaming it at the other face, and just looking crazy, and listen, I don't, the other team almost certainly does not know what they're saying, but it's scary, and by the way, the All Blacks are the all-time winningest team in, like, professional rugby, so it must work, okay? So, next time you go into a board meeting, have a proposal you really want to get across, you just stand up and do a haka, right in the middle, beforehand. Maybe it'll work, I don't know. Anyway, the point in all of that, aside from mildly embarrassing myself, almost doing a haka, is this morning we're going to talk about John the Baptist. This morning we're going to talk about John the Baptist. And and the point of the, the haka, as it were, is to let the people that... We are competing against or, or that see, know what's coming, right? They get up there and they do this chant, this dance, to let the people that they are playing against know what's coming, what kind of whooping you're about to get, or whatever it might be, right? And John the Baptist is not not the haka to Jesus, but he is the one who comes before Jesus to let the people know what is coming, okay? And his ministry is really hugely important and hugely, I think, undervalued in, in, in some ways to us. I mean, we, we preach on him at Christmas time, but part of the reason, of course, is that, you know, we're not Jewish, right? We don't, we don't recognize the need for John the Baptist's ministry, all right, and, and, and what, what the implications were when he arrived on the scene, okay? So that's what we kind of want to look at this morning, how he came onto the scene, the importance of it, and then what was his message, what made him What made him and his message so important to, in particular, the Jewish people, uh, to prepare them for the coming Messiah? So that's our, our goal this morning. So we're actually going to spend the first part looking through the eyes of, of Zechariah as the dad, and then we'll turn to his message. So we're going to be in Luke 1, uh, starting in verse 5. So in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he and his wife, uh, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So, you've got Zechariah. He's a priest, and his wife Elizabeth, they are old, and they are barren. Okay? They desire a child, they want a child, but they have no child, and now they are advanced in age, and probably to the degree that they have given up. Right? They, they, they probably have always wanted a child, but you know what, it's, it's probably just not going to happen for them. You, know, you get to a spot in your life, an age in your life, where you recognize, probably done with the children, okay? and they were past that. <laughs> they were advanced in years. Okay? So, verse 8 Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were uh, praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and, he f- and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have a joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from from his mother's womb." So, Zechariah is doing his priestly duty. Uh, back, way back in Chronicles, David uh, divided the, the, the priestly order to have these uh, clans where they would kind of come in at certain times and, 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 and do the, the priestly duties at the temple. And so, this is what, what he, it was his turn. And so, actually, by lots, he was chosen to go in and burn incense. And so, he's in there, and Gabriel comes up. And, 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 and he, you know, he sees this angel, and he's afraid, but Gabriel quickly, we won't get that far, but it's, it is a Gabriel, okay? But he, he, he's pray he's doing his job, and Gabriel says, listen, your prayers have been heard. You are going to have a child, okay? Which no doubt threw Zechariah off, right? He, he, he tells him, you know, you're going to have a child. And not only that, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great before the Lord, now, if you are, you know, in this room and have struggled in any capacity with infertility, to have an angel come up and tell you your prayers have been answered, you're going to have a child, would have been hard news to hear, but exciting news to hear, right? It would have been exciting. It would have, it would have conveyed this amazing, miraculous thing, you know, especially if you're advanced in years. If you're well past childbearing years, for an angel to show up and say, you're going to have a child. And not only are you going to have a child, as, as a Christian parent in here, your child is going to be great before the Lord. That message alone would have been a huge, huge encouragement to Zechariah. But Gabriel doesn't stop there, right? He keeps going. And he says he can't drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Now, we actually have a fairly um, developed... Pneumatology, it's just a fancy word, our theology of the Holy Spirit, right? We've got the book of Acts, we've got 1 Corinthians 12, we've got, you know, multiple, especially in life after Pentecost, right? So we have a New Testament development uh, understanding of the Holy Spirit that's fairly robust. What we don't always think about is what was the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Okay, the Holy Spirit's been here the whole time, right? So what was his ministry in the Old Testament? Well, Zechariah would have had this in mind, not Pentecost. He would have had this in mind. And, And generally, the rule of thumb in understanding Old Testament Holy Spirit ministry is that he would come upon people for a time, not indwelling with us forever, but he would come upon people for a time, and and that person was able to do something supernaturally that they weren't able to do before the Holy Spirit came upon them, okay? The best example, one of the best uh, that we have of this is Bezalel, who, you know, was given the, the Spirit to make when the tabernacle was coming into existence. He was uh, able to uh, oversee that and make the vessels that were going to be used inside of the temple, the ark and the, the lampstand and all of the things that were needed. The Spirit came upon him to oversee that and to make those things, okay? So, that was something supernaturally that he, he might have been a craftsman, but he was not that craftsman, right? And so that's, you know, we see these examples of people being able to do this thing that they were not able to do before based on the Spirit's work. And so Zechariah would have had that in mind. He would have said, oh my, my, my! praise the Lord. Like, we're going to have a child. The child is going to be great before the Lord and the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's only a handful of clearly communicated instances of the Holy Spirit coming upon people in the Old Testament, and so the Holy Spirit is going to come upon him to do this great work so that he will be great before the Lord. That message alone, both of those together, would have been a huge encouragement to Zechariah, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. Verse 16, Gabriel says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and it turns the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Friends, we know that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were godly, they were obedient, they were faithful, and he was a priest. So what Gabriel said to him would have stopped him in his proverbial sandals, okay? He would have, jaw would have dropped to what Gabriel just said, okay? Because what what Gabriel just said to Zechariah meant two incredible things. Okay, two incredible things that we here have read about, know about, and like hear about on a daily basis. But he was saying two. Gabriel was saying to Zechariah two incredible things, and I wonder. There's three Old Testament passages in particular that Zechariah would have had in mind. I'm going to read through them. I'm not going to do a long exegesis on them or anything like that, but, but I want you to, because these are the passages that Zechariah would have had in mind when Gabriel spoke, okay? The first one is Isaiah 40, verse 3 to, to 5. It says, "...a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain." And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay? The next one is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then a few chapters later in Malachi verse 4 5 and 6, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, so, so Gabriel was quoting Scripture to Zechariah. Okay, and what was he communicating? These, this, these passages communicate to very important realities, okay? The first one is this. Well, let me say this. The word I need you to understand and and put in your mind is the word forerunner, okay? Everybody say it with me, forerunner. All right, it's not Italian, okay? Forerunner. All right, put that in your mind, forerunner. John is, for all intents and purposes, you know, I know I said he wasn't Jesus' haka, but he kind of is, Okay? He is the one that is going to go before him. And why is this important? Why is this so vital? Okay? The two huge realities that were important related to this. First, that the Messiah is coming. Okay, This is what, this is what Gabriel was communicating to Zechariah. The Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, is coming. He is coming soon. He is, he is coming after... 400 years of silence. Here's a, a prophetic word. Here's, well, this is what's happening. The Messiah is coming. Secondly, there must be a forerunner. The Messiah cannot come without a forerunner, okay? You, you had people that would, you know, stand up and claim messiahship, claim kingship, claim, it, but it can't happen without a forerunner according to the scriptures. The prophecies tell us there has to be a forerunner, and so what Gabriel says is the Messiah is coming, and by the way, the forerunner is coming. And by the way, your son is the forerunner, okay? You're going to have a kid. That kid's going to be great before the Lord. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon him. Thank you, thank you. Wow, praise the Lord. Oh, and by the way, that kid is the forerunner to the Messiah, okay? What an answered prayer, okay? What an answered prayer. The Messiah is coming. 400 years of silence. The Messiah is coming. And we know the story of Zechariah. He questions Gabriel, and he becomes mute until... Uh, the time that, he is, that John is born, at which time he proclaims the name to be John, and he can speak again. And John grows up. You know, Zechariah, being faithful, I have no doubt taught him these prophecies, taught him, told him about the, the encounter with Gabriel, taught him the scriptures, prepared him for the job that he had to do. But he was old, so I, we don't know how long he had that. But about 30 years after these events, the ministry of John the Baptist commences. He starts this ministry. So now we know the importance of the ministry itself, that he had to come. He had to, you had to have a forerunner to the Messiah. It's hugely important. It's, 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 it doesn't happen without the forerunner ministry. But, but why? What made John's message so vital? What made his message so vital to the uh, uh, impending, you know, coming ministry of the Messiah? What kind of ministry did John have? Well, he was a prophet. He was a prophet. He's in the New Testament, but I would say that he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He ate like a prophet, he dressed like a prophet, he proclaimed like a prophet, he spoke like a prophet. Uh, and, And friends, this again was the first, after 400 years of silence, the Jewish people were ready to hear something from the Lord. And when he spoke, it says that Jerusalem and all Judea and all the surrounding areas came out to hear him preach and to hear him speak. Okay, they were hungry, they were ready, they were preparing themselves for what was to come. And so, what was John's message? I think there are three uh, important aspects, main parts of John's message that I want to look at. The first is that the kingdom is at hand. Remember that first part of the the first part of Gabriel's message to John was that the Messiah is coming, right? Messiah meant, anoint, means anointed one. Well, who were the anointed ones of Israel? The kings. The kings were the anointed ones of Israel, okay? So John, he, you know, his first words are, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is coming. The Messiah is coming. Your king is coming. And so what kingdom, what, what, what would the Jews have had in mind when John speaks these messages this word well it would have been the the fulfillment of the promised davidic covenant back in 2nd Samuel 7 you would have had that 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 promise of the king reigning on a throne over Israel in the line of David forever right they would have had this in mind this is what they would have been thinking about they've been under roman rule they've been oppressed by rome they've been suffering and the message of the king coming you know of course they would have thought overthrow But there's this also, this this whole messianic line that we'll talk about in a second is, is, listen, your king is coming. The the kingdom, the promised kingdom is coming. So he's not talking, the Jews would not have thought spiritual. They would have thought physical, okay? But not only would they have thought physical, there was a spiritual element to it, right? Like he would have been establishing his throne, but there is this this line of thinking, this theology that runs all throughout. As, As David read earlier, you know, that stump of Jesse, that, that promised one way back in Genesis 3.15 that's going to stomp the head of the uh, serpent, that's going to crush the head of the serpent, the, the, the seed of Jesse, you know, this, this you know, the covenantal fulfillments of, of the Abrahamic and the Davidic, and then, of course, the new covenant, all these things the people are waiting for. And so there is this Redeemer aspect What what, you know, they have the prophet. What, what do you mean given a new heart, like a heart of flesh versus a heart of stone? What does that mean? And, and the forgiveness of sin, what does that mean? You know, this is what would have been they, that these would have been on the minds of these people. In fact, in Luke 3, uh, another way that reason they would have thought this is way back in, uh, well, they wouldn't have thought this, but in Luke 3, Gabriel tells Mary that her son Jesus will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. You see, John, I believe, would have known these things. He would have understood this reality. So not only is the king coming to, to reign but he is going to be that, 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 that seed of Jesse that is going to come and redeem his people, that will have a kingdom that will have no end. So, this is the first aspect of John's message. The second one is to repent. Repent. What did John, what, what did John mean when he's saying repent? He's saying, look, the king is coming. Prepare yourselves for the king. Prepare yourselves for the arrival of the king. The kingdom of God is at hand. We talked a bit quite a bit about you know what does it mean to repent in, in here we've talked about this and it's not, and it is more than turning from an action it's no less than turning from an action but it's not just you know hey stop doing that right stop doing that it's 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 a changing of our mind a changing of our heart and attitude towards towards an action right like why do we do the things that we do and the cry of the forerunner to these people was that uh, you know, maybe not following God's law, maybe not, you know, prepared in the, in the sense of following God to stop. Stop doing that. Repent. Change the way you're thinking. You know, we, we've been talking in James uh, about, you know, the, the, the world's wisdom, adhering to the world's wisdom versus adhering to God's wisdom, and that when we adhere to uh, the world's wisdom, it makes us an enemy of God. And so, it, much like that, John is saying, listen, repent. Change the way you're thinking. Change the way you're living. Change the way you're considering. And it's, if you read, you know, it talks about, you know, a soldier asks them, well, what should we do? And they're asking, what should we do? And he's, and he's talking about how they're living, and and, and it's, it's, it's very, it's very simple. <laughs> the way you're living this way is wrong. Live the way that God wants you to live, okay? And so, so that's part of the message, to repent. Declare allegiance to your king. Live like people of the kingdom. So, the king is coming, prepare yourselves, start living that way. And then he says the final part, uh, the part, final part of his message is to be baptized, to be baptized. And John's baptism was different than, than our baptism. Okay, we, we have a, a post-resurrection baptism, but it says that John baptized with water for repentance. And, and, and again, we have to think about who John was speaking to when he was saying this, right? So the question then that we, we should ask is, was there a, a cultural precedence that, that, ba- that would have made sense for John to say, you need to be baptized, or you need, to be, you need to be cleansed, you need to be baptized in water for repentance? So why would John tell these Jewish people to be baptized? Well, one of the things that was, is, was hugely important to the Jewish people, of course, were related to the, the Mosaic law, right? And the, the pure or the clean versus unclean. We miss a lot of this. Um, in the new in the new year, you know, we talked a lot about the, the Bible reading plan, and, and, and David has so, you know, <laughs> lovingly encouraged us all, hey, you're going to read Genesis, you're going to read Levi- uh, D- Exodus, and then you're going to get to Leviticus, and you're going to like hit the brakes, and you're going to go, what is all of this? Friends, so much of that law, so much of the Mosaic law was how do we live as a nation, right? And not just any nation. This was a theocratic nation where God lived and dwelled in the midst of his people which can create a real problem because God how does God going to dwell in the midst of sin and people approach a holy God right and so so they were given these sacrifices you know when, when they uh, uh, you know anointed the 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 tabernacle with oil and all the vessels with oil and then every sacrifice were these you know Fling blood on the altar, and they would fling blood on the ark, and, and not every time, but you know, and this would purify, this would make atonement for sin. And we think, well, sin, these sins were, uh, if you look at, you know, the burnt offering, the, the grain, all these uh, offerings were, were for accidental sin, right? It's like, oh, if you, you have a sin and then you realize it, you go and you, you, you know, you, you make your sacrifice, and, and, and it made a temporary atonement for that sin so that. God could continue to dwell in the midst of his people, and so that people could continue to approach, okay? But before the people could approach the king to offer these sacrifices, they would, they would ceremonially cleanse themselves, okay? They, ha- they would have in these communities, they would have these, these baths, which were called mikvahs, and they would have a, a girl's side and a guy's side, and they would disrobe completely, okay? And they would go in and, and dip themselves completely under the water and come out, okay and it was a ceremonial cleansing okay it was a ceremonial preparation to go and offer your sacrifice or to go and do the thing that you were called to do and so john's message overall was hey your king is coming to dwell in the midst of you you shall call him emmanuel god with us your king is coming he's coming to establish his kingdom prepare your hearts prepare your minds and cleanse yourself and get ready for your king that's the message of the forerunner okay that's the message of the forerunner. But as we know, well, let me say this. The message of John, the forerunner, to repent, the kingdom is here or imminent, purify yourselves. It's not that much different, okay, than what we have for us today. Okay, so, so biblical history, uh, we know that Jesus came, lived his life, offered the kingdom, and he was rejected. He, he, he went to the house of Israel. It was for Israel. It was rejected. It was rejected by the leaders. It was rejected by the people. Uh, you've got John 6 and the feeding of the 5,000, and then the, the, the bread of life discourse. The people leave. The, the cities of Galilee rejected him, and so we know that, that theologically the, the, the temporary uh, Romans 11, the temporary hardening of the Jewish people have happened. Uh, the message of the good news of the kingdom has been transferred for a season to the church, that's us, to go out and, and, and spread this gospel of the good news of the kingdom to the nations, right? That's, that's where we are in history, okay? But the message for the church, for the people, is very much the same. Jesus left for a season. And he said, look, I'm coming back. I'm coming back, all right? So, the kingdom is closer today than it was when we started breakfast, okay? Get ready. Prepare your hearts. Purify your life. Get ready for the arrival of your king. That's still the message for us today. It has not changed all that much. And how, how do we do this? How do we do this? I think there's a lot of ways, actually. Uh, we live in a way that displays the kingdom to the world around us, right? We live as citizens of the kingdom, okay? So, so we live in a way, we, we know that, that the parallel is that the Jewish people were to live in a way that the outsiders would look upon their lives and say, your God is wise. You, you live differently. What is it? Your God is wise. Well, if we Trans, get, get to today's message, like, we are to live in a way where people go, what is different about the way you live? Whoever is guiding you, whoever's law you abide by, what like, it's different than the one that we live by. That's different. And friends, John spoke truth. Ultimately, he was killed, okay? We speak truth. We could, we could be killed, but there are also people who are going to look upon our life and go, what is it? I want it. I want it. What is that? That's how we are called to live. Okay? The kingdom is coming. Get ready. And so, we, we, if, we're, if we're living in a way where we're, you know, even going back to James that we we're talking about, if we live in a way that, that the, the, we're making ourselves an enemy of God because we're adhering to the world's wisdom, we repent. We repent of that. We, we look at the way we think, the, our desires. We go, is it biblical? Is it biblical? If it's not, we stop. We quit doing it. And it's not Like that, right? We we take our time, we we engage the scriptures, we pray, we engage our community, we work to put sin to death. This is this is I think is kind of the equivalent of our, you know, baptism, you know, not like our our ceremonial cleansing, right? Our our good deeds don't make us clean. The blood of Christ makes us clean. But we are able to cleanse our lives. We put our sin to death. We we adhere our lives and our minds and our thinking to the knowledge of the scripture and the wisdom of the scripture. We prepare ourselves for the coming of the King. That's how we are called to live. That's called, how do we go and give the gospel, the good news of the gospel message to the people if we are not living as though the King is coming? If we are living like we enjoy the world more than we enjoy the coming kingdom, why would anybody be attracted to that? Why would we be attracted to it? Why? why you know, what is it about God and His kingdom that is attractive to us? Right? And so we want to we repent of that. We want to see the scriptures and say, all right, Lord, you know, it, it hearkens us back to Jesus's words where, look, if you, want to, if you want to find your life now, enjoy the world, right? But if you want to find your true life, we've got to die to ourselves. We, we want to lose our life so that we can find it. And so we want to prepare our hearts and our minds for the coming of our King. And ultimately, you know, it, it seems like this can be a challenge, but, you know, John, the forerunner, called the greatest man that ever was born of woman, he lived by his words. He lived by his words that said, you know what, that guy Jesus, he's gotta increase. I've got to decrease. It's 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 not about building my kingdom. It's about building his kingdom. It's submission. Friends, it's minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, submission to God. He is the king. We don't get to decide if he's the king or not. He is the king. He is coming to establish his throne. John, the forerunner, said, look, the king is coming. And the king did come. It's that that way with us as well. He is coming. And so we want to live this way. We want to adhere to the message. We want to say, like, look, all right, the king is coming. Let's search our lives, search our hearts, repent in areas that need repentance. And then purify our lives and go out and show people what it's like to be kingdom-minded folks. The message of the good news of the kingdom. That's for us to go and take. So as we... Turn now to the Lord's Supper. It's kind of the, uh, it's kind of the beauty of, our, of, this, of this little meal is that it, it's a time every week that you can consider your life. You can think about you know, areas of sin that need put to death. You can consider ways that you failed. But friends, ultimately, our entry into the kingdom is not about our good works. It's about the shed blood of Christ. We get to be kingdom folks because Christ died for us. And so, as we take this bread and take this cup, it's symbolic of, of the shed blood body and the shed blood of Christ that, that allows us into the kingdom, allows us to, what is the good news? It's that we are forgiven of our sins and we get to be with Christ forever. Emmanuel, God with us, He came and died so that we could live. And so, as, again, as we turn to this, it, it, let's take some time. Let's take some time to contemplate, you know, hey, Lord, first, you know, forgive me. Secondly, Thank you. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your shed blood that, that allows me to engage with you and talk with you and be a part of your kingdom. And so, if you're serving, you can come on up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will uh, we'll take it together. If you'll just hold it, we'll take it together. Lord, thank you again for our time this morning. Thank you so much that we can come to your word. I thank you for Zechariah, his faithfulness, his faithfulness to you and your blessing uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth with, with John, and I thank you for the ministry of John. You know, we will, if we are a believer, we will get to meet him one day and talk about this and, and, and just interact with how, how he came to learn about it and what it was like to eat locusts. But Lord, at the end of the day, we, we are grateful that this, this man who you chose to come in the spirit and power of Elijah that was also rejected, that he com- communicated your truth, that he prepared the way for Jesus and we are grateful for that. We, we, we want to be people who adhere to the same message, who live as though the King is coming, and who want to live pure and, and holy lives, be set apart. We want to repent in areas that we need to repent. I pray that your Spirit would, would show us those, would encourage us, would help us, put people in our lives to help us. But Lord, ultimately we know that, that it is not about our good lives that we have entry into your kingdom. It is through the shed blood of Christ. And so as we turn to take this bread and this cup that, that remind us of that, I pray that you would give us a spirit of joy, one that helps us again turn to the reality that Christ came to, to live among us, to die for us, and will come again to, to take us and, and, and dwell here and rule and reign over us. And what, what good news that is, Lord. And so I pray that you would, you would help us. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for saving us. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.